0: for Success Express, your business, career, and financial radio magazine. Hosted by Lisa Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazines.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio Success Express Business and Career Show. Today, we're excited to welcome award-winning 30-year serial entrepreneur and lawyer, so don't don't mess with us, right? Uh, We've got David J. Mucko joining us, and he's joining us to talk about his new book. This is so exciting because there's so many startups happening across the country right now, and um, all generations doing them, not just the younger, but, you know, it's Everyone's starting. They're maybe moving away from companies. During COVID, we've seen a big shift. And this is why we're very excited to have him on the show because he's written a really fun business book. And we need fun in business. Um, Otherwise, why do it? It is called The Seven Secret Keys to Startup Success. What You Need to Know to Win. And I encourage you to go to his website, David davidmucco.com author.com and I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. I've 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 been you know prepping for this all afternoon but it's D A V I D for David and then it's M U C H O W author.com. So welcome David. How are you? Well I
1: I'm doing great Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: And did I get your last name correct? This is important a yeah,
1: so the easy way to remember is it rhymes with Stucco.
0: Stucco. stucco. All right. Right. So now does Stucco know scooter? That's what I want to know.
1: Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not sure, but he's going to have more adventures. So we'll just find out.
0: Okay, so everyone needs to know about Professor Scooter McGee, and even that you named it McGee. Seriously, like I got the giggles. Sarah did. Um, this is something that you don't see in a business book. When we, especially when you start getting into all the legalese, we even have a running thing about what is, what are they talking about on court cases? What are they talking about? Objection. What does that really mean? But you've got, you know, you've got legalese in here and things we need to know. But um, you're, you're like the the doctor that gives us lollipops when we go visit.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I love the analogy.
0: <laughs> well, don't you want a lollipop? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> if you're going to have to go to the doctor, someone's going to give you something nice, especially the dentist should give us all chocolate, right? That's right, what I say.
1: for sure. But
0: for um, really getting into the brass tacks, it's, your brain needs a reprieve. You need to be able to get the information you need, which you definitely do, but also have some, you know, chill out time. And you've done that in the book. We'll talk about that. But the, you know, the secret keys to startup success, do you think that, you know, Nancy and I were talking about how, you know, startups are going up. Do you see that happening over the next two to three years? This um, inflation of startups, not inflation of the economy, hopefully not anymore of that. Well,
1: there are, um, there, there always are a pretty good number of startups. I think what you're seeing is, you know, even at the high school level, you're seeing more and more classes for it. One of the, if, if I could talk a little bit, maybe just for a minute, uh, uh, kind of a big overview of what the book is, that you help to your listeners. Sure. Go ahead. So, so why I wrote this book was because I've worked with, hundreds and hundreds of uh, startups and other businesses all the way up to, you know, Fortune 500s and taking ideas from uh, all the way to over a billion dollars. And there's a huge disconnect between the questions that I get as a practicing attorney and a business consultant from my clients and what is on the shelves in other books. You'd have to be crazy to write another business book. There are a couple of thousand come out every year. So what I found, though, was that the things that you really need to know what to do and what not to do are just not out there. The practical things, like the questions I get are, you know, should I incorporate in Delaware? How do I protect my intellectual property? Um, Mm -hmm. How do I fire somebody without getting sued? And you really can't find that anywhere else. Uh, The other reason why I wrote the book was there is a hidden trillion dollar economic problem in this country. And that is that eight out of 10 startups fail. Now, we don't know the exact number. Nobody does. But it's something like that. Now, think if you had another couple of thousand companies like Apple or IBM mm-hmm. or, uh, or or Tesla, think of what that would do to the economy. It would just be tremendous. So we've got this hole in the boat in our economy that nobody's paid much attention to. And so part of the book also talks about the macro impact of the failure of startups and how we need to have a federal program to make sure that we give a lot more ways to get startups so they can go from an idea to actual commercialization within months and not years but mm. you know the the idea therefore so what i wrote was i tried to make this the most practical and comprehensive business and legal book for startups and for growing businesses not just for startups because all companies have problems with management and intellectual property and risk management and so forth. Um, it's it's available, you know, on Amazon and bookstores and so forth. Think of it as kind of a rich dad, poor dad for startups. Mm,
0: exactly. And
1: as you said, to make it more fun, I've I've structured these chapters, which are on, on subjects like how do you plan your business, how do you manage your risks. How do you protect your intellectual property? How do you be a better manager of personnel? How do you raise money, which is always the big issue? How do you market better? And how do you control yourself so you don't go crazy because you're going 24-7 and what does that do to your relationships and so forth? So Mm. that stuff is sort of the business and legal part. But I think of this book as like an Oreo cookie in its structure. So you got that those kinds of chapters. And then in between is a sweet filling, which is an adventure story of a Georgetown professor uh, who's imaginary. I also teach at Georgetown. Well,
0: I was going to say, come on, it's, it's you.
1: <laughs> well, it's yeah. yeah. So so a Georgetown professor who travels around in his old 1962 Austin Healey convertible. You'll have to guess what my first car was as a kid, right?
0: I was going to say, but then is it solar? (laughs) I know (laughs) you've gotten involved in that too.
1: And he helps to fix broken startups. So so it's a little bit like uh, Harrison Ford and Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's just a normal Mm. professor. And then all of a sudden he gets caught up in all kinds of, you know, adventures and risks and everything else. So poor scooter, and I don't want to spoil the plot, but there there is this very sensual um, fashion heiress who is has an interest in scooter and then the CIA does, and the mob is after him. So anyway, that's the sweet filling part. So that's a little bit of the of the overview as to what the book is and how it's structured.
0: But I like that because it does delve into your history too, your business history, because you're not, you know, unfamiliar with the CIA. You're not unfamiliar <laughs> with cars. And, and and even just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what you've done with Skybuilt Power too, which is amazing. Um, and that really was for uh, our, our, our forces, right? That was for our intelligence for this country that they are able, you know, we always thought about how did, how did they communicate with people? out in the middle of nowhere and well um, yeah t- i yeah. Have,
1: have to give credit to tinker toys because because when i was a kid uh <laughs> you know i, I love building things with tinker toys and i'd build these really complicated things and they'd spin around and do stuff and but they were modular and plug and play so fast forward a couple of decades um i was sitting around with a friend of mine who ran the the Solar Trade Association, and, and another friend uh, who's a great manager, and we were talking about, okay, the, uh, what's, what's wrong with solar and wind? Why haven't they really caught on? And this was, you know, 15 years ago, right? They're certainly caught mm-hmm. on now, but it was all too complicated. So we started thinking about what could you build with an easy button that would provide virtually unlimited power, no fuel, and be easily transportable. So we got small wind turbines, solar, uh, freight container, which is the most shippable thing in the world. And we put it all together. And along came the, uh, you know, the Iraq war was going on. And the big problem the army had was that they were hauling a huge amount of diesel in convoys out to forward operating bases. And for every 25, Convoys. One American soldier was killed from IEDs. These uh, ah. these explosive devices hidden in the roads. Yeah. And so, if you could eliminate the need for fuel in remote bases, you could save lives, and it would be more reliable because mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to have any fuel. And it's either the wind or the sun's going to be there most days, mm-hmm. and so you'd have enough power. So, so I give Tinker Toys a lot of credit because what we did was basically took the same concept and put it into something, you know, more substantial for the CIA and army and air force and so forth.
0: That's amazing. And um, even as we're recording tonight, we're doing a a whole military, we do a first Monday show, uh, military Monday show. And uh, it's, you know, we really get into the, all of, how does it work? How does the military machine work um, to, to do exactly what you're talking about? How are those tools of the trade uh, helping our soldiers, you know, uh, men and women and even, you know, not just in combat, but um, also in the hospitals and, and things like that. So I think it's amazing. And it's amazing, the whole solar part. But one thing you you just said was simplify it down. It, it things get um, it, that's something in a startup. Right. Is. Are, is your message clear? Are you going to be, is your idea going to be stolen? Something you talk about in the book. Are you, if your message isn't clear, are you going to get the investors? How are we going to show them how to give you money? And you talk about the finances, which, you know, when it's a startup, I don't care how big or small you, you need that bump. You need to be able to have that buffer zone to be able to weather the startup because things happen. Production issues happen. I mean, even right now, look at COVID and then the whole, you know, issue of getting parts and and the, you know, the issues we're facing still to this day, post-COVID, even though we still have COVID around, but we have manufacturing problems at this point, even with cars. So you do need to have that cash flow. And from what we've learned over the years and in all the interviews we've done and, and running the magazine is... Cash flow is king. <laughs> and If you don't have the cash flow you, and you need to be able to sell it and isn't your messaging really important uh, to be able to get those investors on board?
1: Well, no, absolutely. And and one of the things that, that uh, the startups typically don't do so well, let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges for a startup is that usually uh folks doing a startup are very passionate and very motivated. I always get a kick out of the fact when I see these, you know, management books about motivation and how do you get more vote? I've never met a startup person who is not heavily motivated. Right.
0: I know it's like, Oh, you got to, uh, who's going to make your bed. Right. Like, like get over it. We're, we're already rolling at four in the morning. <laughs> so you like, start you
1: know, out as, as yeah. really being good in, let's say, writing code or, you you know, restaurants or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of like the person who plays drums in an orchestra and you're Mm -hmm. really, really good at drums. So you start thinking you're pretty good at everything. uh, And you're not looking at the holes in the Swiss cheese that all of us are where we've got some gaps and what we really know how to do well. And now you're the orchestra leader and you got to do everything well. Right, you're drinking from a fire hose. You got finance and marketing, personnel issues, and you also have to develop a product or a service. And so, one of the things that you need to do is you need to be humble and you need to listen and you need to stay focused. And that takes some different skills that sometimes hard charging people aren't too good at. I, I know I certainly have my faults in that. Mm-hmm. In that area, and one of the things you can do when you're going crazy as a startup, because you're you're basically getting married to your partners here, who are your your startup partners, you may be spending more time with them than you are with your family mm-hmm. um, or your friends. And one of the things I talk about in in the Seven Secret Keys to Startup Success is the use of management zen which is a way to manage yourself so that you can better manage other people and stay balanced while all this chaos is going on. I mean, mm-hmm. a real problem for startups is focus. As you said, mm-hmm. you're exactly right, Lisa. There, you You always tend to do what's urgent. The phone rings, you take the call. But unless you have a plan and you are really, really focused, you will constantly be blown off track.
0: So Mm -hmm.
1: one of the one of the tricks that that I used with SkyBuild Power was we put up we we had a 20 foot long wall, blank wall, and and we painted it with uh, whiteboard paint, which you can buy. And then you can use the whole darn wall as a whiteboard Mm -hmm. Over on the far left side. We would put our overarching goals and objectives. And then a little bit to the, to the right of that, we'd show our activities and where we were and what our deadlines were. And now you've got 18 feet left so that you can exchange your ideas and start to draw connections between those ideas on the board. Think of it like this. If, if you had to write a report and, and have it printed out and had to invent the printer first, It'd be a lot harder to write that report, right? It'd take too right. long. So you want to nail some stuff down. There's a mm. there's a saying, um, I write so that I might think. And when you have a whiteboard, you lay it out, try to be linear, you get accountability, you get some dates up there, then it's a lot easier to do the creative stuff and not get blown off track.
0: It's like a mind mapping exercise exactly too right. I've seen educators do that um exactly in, in right. schools is and get not just the teachers always up at the board it's getting the kids up there no matter what age and really college too get up there and contribute to that mind map and where can we have those connections so it's more inclusive and I think it keeps everybody on that goal you know everybody moving forward and in, like I said inclusive which is something important because you can have issues like, OK, so right now, as we're recording, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and there's mass firings. I just want to I have to ask you about that because. It's it's going crazy out there about his firing. And you talk about that in the, in your book.
1: Yes, so. um it's, it's hard for me to question Elon Musk because he seems to have been doing pretty well. <laughs> but uh, he, he certainly has stirred the pot in terms of management theory because one of the first theories of taking over a new company is to spend a little time figuring out as much of it as you can so that you can make sound decisions. From what I gather in the press, Mr. Musk has uh, laid off a bunch of people. And there was a story in the Wall Street Journal today that said he was going to hire some of them back. In my mind, that could be a wasted effort. Uh,
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I think it's easier to make a decision on the front end than to have to unmake a decision on the back end. But having said that, um, in personnel management, when you're really trying to shake up a company, It's standard practice and it works reasonably well, it's painful, but that you you basically put every job up for a bid and you say to your employees, hey, uh, we're going to restructure this company, we're going to figure out what the personnel requirements are, and then we're going to see whether or not you fit into those requirements. But well, we're not just going to assume that you're a good fit in everything. Maybe we'd want to rotate mm-hmm. you around. And so therefore, every one of you is going to have to bid for a job description, which is going to be a little bit different. Now, that's a pretty sound management approach. It's pretty tough on the employees. But on the other hand, it's um, in a lot of investors like that because Every now and then you need a fresh look, no matter mm-hmm. what kind of company you have, because things change. And the question is, are you going to be able to pivot fast enough to stay up with the competition who's also pivoting rapidly?
0: Well, I think what you're saying is, is interesting, but when it becomes like a mass firing, like I'm walking in and just like derailing everybody, you know, I think to me, sometimes I feel like you still need to get intelligence from those employees. Like absolutely, who are they, who are the, the, they have the clients and if you're not, I mean, they could run off your with your clients when you've bought and maybe you didn't know about it and you didn't have it set up. And you talk about this intelligence part, which I think is, you know, you've got to look at contracts when you hire people, what happens? So when you're a startup, you may go in, you make some really good points in the book about you may have this great idea to manufacture something and create this, but do you run do you want to just keep manufacturing doing new products and sell that? Or do you want to run the company, right? Uh you know, which is a whole other beast. That's that's there are people born and raised to do that. And there are people born and raised to create things. You know, you talk about Thomas Edison in the book too. And you know, and and that he had to go and get funds, and we always forget about that. He had to be a sales. You, you, there's no way you can't be a salesperson in business. Period. I don't care what you do; you're a salesperson. I don't. I'm sorry. Even a lawyer. Lawyers are some of the best salespeople I know. Right. So, that's all important. But you know, running a company is a whole other deal. But when you look at intelligence of knowing clients and if you don't set it up properly and then you sell the person who buys the company could lose it if those contracts weren't right with the employees right so that's what i'm trying to say like going back to twitter i don't know what the contracts were at all i have no clue all i know is you hear headlines of mass firings he walks in he fires everybody and i'm going you may want to you know maybe he did the intelligence before i don't know but um don't you want to kind of glean some information before you fire people? And don't you want to make sure they don't walk off with your clients? Maybe not yes. talking about yeah. Twitter in general, you know?
1: Yeah, the, the, the short answer is that's the usual way to do things. I, I, I will point out legally, uh, there is an advantage of um, a more efficient advantage if you say you're restructuring a company and therefore you're abolishing all the positions and starting over clean, legally uh, the company could be better off because when you, anytime you just fire somebody, uh, you better have a really good paper trail on performance reviews and why they were fired. And, and you may be looking at many, many lawsuits So I could see where his lawyers might have said to him, look, the company needs restructuring. If you're gonna do it, here's the most efficient way to do it with the least amount of legal exposure. And Mm -hmm. that I I have no way of knowing whether that played into his decision, but he certainly got everybody's attention. In terms of management, let me just mention one other approach that I I think is interesting. Thomas Edison, uh, there are not many Thomas Edisons. He could do everything. Uh, lost his hearing as a as a very young man, which he in, in many ways felt was an advantage because he didn't have to listen to stuff that, that he didn't want to. And he could focus much better, which is one of the most important things that a CEO needs to do. But he had a management style where he would, if, if any of your listeners ever get a chance to go to New Jersey and go to the, I think it's called Edison National Park or something like that.
0: Oh, now you're talking um, our language here. <laughs> it, it is
1: It is. It is amazing. And one of the things that he did, he would walk around and almost every day and talk to uh, his employees and say, hey, what are you working on? Uh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Maybe you ought to try this. And as a result of that, he was extremely knowledgeable in the nuts and bolts of everything the company was doing. Exactly the opposite of the Elon Musk approach, which is, I don't know all the nuts and bolts, or maybe he does. I I don't mean to say he doesn't, but I don't know how deep down he could have gotten when he's running these other companies as well. And uh, so Edison was once asked by a reporter, after he was very successful, he was asked, um, don't you consider yourself a failure because it took you a thousand tries, a thousand failures to invent the light bulb? Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. said, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. I invented the light bulb and it required a thousand steps.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes, by the way. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yes.
1: And, and uh, you know, that's obviously a paraphrase. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is important. He really knew his business and built great loyalty with his employees because of that walk around.
0: And understanding failure leads to success. You well, that- failure
1: failure is a form of success. I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. get pretty extreme on this. I'm going to say there's no such thing as failure. I agree. And that failure is, is the way that your business shows you how not to go. And rather than to, you know, one of the big threats of any company is you feel like you're doing pretty good. And you're, you know, maybe <laughs> you're, maybe you're gross you sales.
0: One, you get two minutes. You, you, you had a really good sale. You get two minutes, go have a cocktail and get over it. Cause tomorrow it's a new day. I'm just going to say that, right? Yeah. Are we allowed to do that. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. It changes so fast. Mm. No, no,
1: no, absolutely. So. Um, so so it's important to, to stay close to your, your personnel, that you listen to them, that you explain to them your thinking and where you are, what you're doing, because you're looking to get that extra 20% out of it. Most, most people will give you 60, 70, 80%. But if you want to get any more performance, you're going to have to build some loyalty and you're going to have to show leadership. You manage companies, but you lead people. And unless they feel and believe in you and your leadership, which is why you need to be ethical. Uh, in the seven secret keys to startup success, I talk about ethics, which is management ethics. And for a lot of people, uh, you know, being ethical is, you know, maybe not the quickest way to do a deal. But over the long run, you need loyalty of your customers. You need mm-hmm. people to believe that you're somebody they can trust. Or else they're just not going to be doing business with you.
0: So what happened? So let's go back to the firing thing, right? When when you think about people that, I don't even really want to use Twitter as a thing because, it, you know, by the time this airs, it, it'll probably change tomorrow. Like, you know, but that is how business works, right? It is always changing. Right. And that's what I think is so important. And I think that's what's important about your book, too, is that, you have all the protections. You're you're like, hey, if you want to start this business, have the protections so that you don't have to really like if you stumble in a, a, a pothole, you don't go all the way down. You're not in a sinkhole in the road. You know, well, yeah, pothole a sinkhole.
1: Uh, one of the biggest personnel mistakes, Lisa, is that uh, when you're hiring employees, the the CEO or whoever's doing the hiring doesn't understand the local law. And you end up doing something like running a background check without getting a written consent, which can be mm. a crime in some jurisdiction. I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. And so you need to, to have a lawyer at your side and a really good financial person or accountant right there with you when you're starting your company. Because you, if, if you do something wrong, like you're raising money and you violate SEC laws, um, n- nobody's going to invest in you. I mean, why would anybody invest in a company where the CEO doesn't even know how to stay out of trouble with the federal government? Uh, wow, they just yeah. yeah. So, so make sure that you get a good team up front, particularly talk to a lawyer before you get too far, because mm-hmm. you can waste a lot of money because some lawyers are frankly, very, very expensive and there are ways to reduce those costs. And, uh, for example, um, there you, you can plead poverty as a startup, which is a, a great advantage of startups, and just tell your your prospective uh, lawyer that, look, I can't afford to pay you,
0: mm-hmm. or
1: maybe uh, have you got some sort of an installment plan, or do you have a pro bono arm that could, you know, at least put some corporate documents together for me for free? Um I may be one of the few lawyers that tells you how to save money on legal expenses, but I still have my bar card. So we'll see how that that goes.
0: That that's important though, because I think, you know, we we all make lawyer jokes, right. And, but at the same time, lawyers really, like I said, are some of the best salespeople on the planet. And also, and you need them, you need them to be this, the best salesperson on the planet because when things go amok, they're there and they write the best letters and you want those letters before anything gets really knee deep, you know, from all the interviews we've done over the years and, and, and just being in business too, it pays to not get into a court case. It pays to have done that due diligence, to have those steps um, to, you know, you, you talk about trademarks and copyrights and things like that too. You don't want to put a product out there and then someone steals it. Now you've lost it. You've lost your business or now you're in a war you know, even right now with domain names, it's still out there. Like, well, I've had this business license for this, you know, this name for this amount of time. And now you took my website domain name. Yeah, well, you were a little slow. So we have all these issues. But if you already had the documentation, it doesn't become an issue. So it's kind of like when you start up, get the investing and do it right at the beginning, right? Is it, it, That's a lot of what I got from your book is like, Set yourself up straight, so when when the doo doo does fly, you you don't need as big of a swatter.
1: Well, in the in the Seven Secret Keys, uh, I uh, it's it's filled with tips and charts and you know l- legal information and and model forms and so forth to, to so that you have an understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a list of, you know, the 10 basic steps that you do as a startup. So you don't miss anything on the front end, because when you miss it, uh, you, you could make, you know, a fatal mistake. It's it's not that, that you're stupid or whatever. You just don't know what mm-hmm. to do and not to do. Think of it like this. Um, when I first learned how to snow ski, I don't know if they still do it this way or not, but they took you know, the instructor took us up to the bunny slope and said, let me tell you what not to do. Don't point your skis parallel downhill or you will Mm -hmm. be there, right? And you got to learn how to fall. And the same thing is true in business. The things that you need to know not to do are just as important as what to do. And in fact, they're so dangerous that you really need to get that solid advice on the front end.
0: You know, David, you're starting to sound like Nancy, my mom. <laughs> She's <laughs> always telling me, this is what you don't want to do. You can mess around here, but don't do this. And then what do we do as kids? We step into that zone. And then you go, oh, that really wasn't the right thing. But your book, that's what I really love about it. Um, Again, everyone, the seven secret keys to startup success. So many people are doing startups, getting involved, have really good ideas, but um, they're going out and having to get these, you know, they have to raise funds. You know, they may have this amazing idea, but, but especially when it comes into manufacturing or if you're going in the food industry, oh my God, you have got, or the wine industry or something like that, you have, or kids toys like think about all the legal things that happen with a kid's toy like all right you've got to really think it out because is it safe it's is it this is it that but then you've got to think about trademarking it making sure someone doesn't steal your idea there are so many things to do and i don't want people to not follow their dream but go get the investing so i feel like if people got the investing from the right people and stayed true and had integrity in their dream and mission that that would help them instead of going out blindly so your book really details everything of what they need to do but are there legal ramifications and I know you you detail this in there when you start playing crowdsource go fund me for my business and I've I've seen companies do it like Publicly doing it and going in, hey, we've done this first manufacturer round and now we need to do this. Are there legal ramifications if you don't fulfill what you said you're going to do when you do this kind of crowdsourcing for Uh, funds?
1: Well, one of the interesting things about having an offering memo, which is the memo that you use to say uh, that you're raising money and here's what your project is and Mm -hmm. so forth is the more bad news and scary things you put in there, the better. Because then if something goes wrong, the investor can't say, well, I didn't know that was a risk, right? You failed to inform me. So the the scarier that you're offering memo is, uh, actually, the, the more legally protected the company is. But let me back up a little bit besides sure. just the legal side. And, you know, obviously, you should have a lawyer before you go out and raise money, because uh, even the, there, there's kind of a myth that, well, it's just friends and family. I just got money from my grandmother in California. Well, take a look at the law in California and see what it says about whether or not you need to register before you start raising money among California citizens. That's the kind of practical thing that you need to have your lawyer check out, but on the business side, one of the things that that I see all the time, uh, and, and when I when I teach my my students at Georgetown, uh, you know, about a profit and loss statement and working on a three mm-hmm. to five year budget for your company as part of your business plan, and they 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 often miss this. They don't think about how big some of these expenses really are. Most p ls probably underestimate the cost of getting a patent or, the, or their accounting costs or filing documents and so forth. And so one of the things that you need to do on the business side is get a good profit and loss statement that really identifies all your expenses and make sure you don't overestimate your income and then figure about a 20% uh, contingency fee, because things happen. Uh, you you cannot predict what's going to happen six months from now. Nobody can. So figure out how much money do you need mm. and, and get that as good as you can get it. And there are kind of two ways to look at this. One is, well, I want to raise more money than I need to be safe. Right. And the argument there is you should have 12 to 18 months worth of runway and raise enough money so you're not always worried about money. Because when you are, you're going to make wrong decisions that are strictly based on money and not other good business factors.
0: That's where you I mean, start to lose your integrity, too.
1: Well, that's that's true, because you'll do anything to get that money. And then mm-hmm. on the other side, don't raise too much money. The You know, some investors and, you know, sure. venture capital firms and so forth, although they're usually not at the startup level. They're fee based, so they may want to throw money, more money at you than you need because they get a bigger fee and they're going to take a bigger chunk of your equity. So you Mm. need to protect yourself from that and really figure out exactly how much you need and when and always be looking six to nine months ahead as to what you're going to need in terms of more money, because it takes a lot longer to raise money than you can imagine.
0: It does. And because you have and and it's I think hard as a startup because you have a great idea. And I think even what you're saying, like put all the scary details in there. And that's a a very hard thing for someone who has a great idea going, I don't want to tell them all that, you know, and I don't want to think about that. You know what I mean? But you're reality based and that has to happen. And I think when you get those right people investing in you that know the scary details, then you've got the right people. That are along for the journey, not just well, for a road. Like yeah, well, that's road.
1: a that's an excellent point, Lisa. Because when you're dealing with friends and family, here's the problem.
0: No, um, oh, there's a no lot matter of how many <laughs> times you tell them,
1: hey, only put your money in. This is like gambling money. Be prepared to lose it all. If you lose it all, it's pretty darn awkward. And your it's friends awkward. and
0: family, yeah. I mean, I mean, I obviously Nancy and I were family, but like we're in it a hundred percent together and have been doing it for like, you know, almost three decades. Right. It's different. But when you do take family money, things get, you, you, you could not have Thanksgiving. You cannot have Christmas after that. You know what I mean? It can ruin so much if you, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know? And it's like, I, I've had so many, business coaches and people come on a show and say, first thing is, oh, you're going to do something and you want to start, you know, go to your friends and family first, go contact them first of everything. And Nancy and I go, that's the worst thing you could do sometimes. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> Because if you screw up, you're, you're screwing up an entire community really. Well, that. an
1: entire personal relationship. You're kind of mixing. Yeah. You know, personal things in business don't mix too well, a little bit like oil and water. So when you have a sophisticated investor who understands there's only a 20% chance this thing's going to work, and, and those are the average numbers, then they're, one, they have enough money so it doesn't bother them so much. And number two, they understand really on the front end uh, how these things work.
0: You're and right. they have in, in, information too, don't they? Come to the table with you know, well, hey, lessons we've learned. Yeah. So
1: there's there's lots of different kinds of money. It's not just money. There's spider web money, I call it, where somebody somebody gives you money, but there are conditions with it. And that's what you don't want. Then there's good money, which is money that brings in something else. Maybe it's a joint venture or it's an access to customers. Or you uh, have a vice president on your board who used to be with a company, uh, let's say they were with Walmart, you're trying to sell to Walmart. Well, that's that's mm. good money because it's it's not just money. Money comes in all different flavors.
0: Oh, I think you're really right about that. I know you're right about that. It does. And that's where it goes back to do it right at the front and not later when you're in trouble. Yeah. You know you watch, how many people watch Shark Tank and people are in trouble going to Walmart to sell their product and don't have the manufacturing money and then they'll take the wrong deal. You know what I mean? and lose a huge chunk of their company to the wrong person. but if they'd set it up knowing this is what you're where you're gonna project, who do you go to to help you even with that? What if you are really just the smart person? With an invention or an idea or a service, whatever it is, service is really the hardest thing, I think. A product versus a service, because service is human, right? That gets weird. That can get and that can get weird. It can. But when you talk about a product going into places like Walmart, you know, Home Depot, whatever, all these big box stores, which people want. But if you really haven't thought out those extra steps at the end. Of course, get your book. But who helps you with that part, like understanding you actually need more money than what you think? Yeah, and well, even if your business I mean, lawyers, isn't worth it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: you know, startup lawyers, uh, lawyers and law firms that have experience with startups are probably the best source of that kind of information. You can't oh, wow. really, uh, you know, one reason why I wrote, you know, seven secret keys was it's. That kind of really important stuff is just not generally available out there in other books and so forth. So uh, the very practical side of how do you raise money? What is what is an investment teaser and a slide deck look like? And what's the funding cycle? Mm -hmm. And how do you get inside of the investor's head and appeal to that investor? And how do you do? how do you do marketing research by talking to a hundred people on the front end so that you don't build something that nobody wants. When you start out, all you have is a hypothesis. You you think you know what your product or service is, and you think you know who your customer is. And fast forward six months, it could be totally different. And that's the, just the way it evolves. And if you, if you put too much money in going down one path too early, uh you probably
0: lose it. And you you you're also talking about, you know, families going, hey, let's do this startup, let's jump in. Someone has a great idea, let's jump in. But you could lose your retirement money. You can lose everything going into it. So it's a huge risk. And you talk about risk management in the book too. Um you know you've got to think about what you're jumping into and everybody wants to follow their dreams and you should, but how tangible is it that you go into the different avenues? Hey, maybe sell it here. Maybe that's your side. Maybe you shouldn't run the orchestra. Like you say, maybe, you know, you're the drummer, you know, and each, each thing is quality, you know, each, each role is important and you just have to choose and know who you are. I think what, what's really cool about this is like, it's not just, Here's your your facts and and how to really think it out. You have to figure out who you are as the person going into the startup. You know, well, that's right. Really know who you are.
1: If, if you know, you, you can have a really good management and a terrible product, and you you could well be successful. But if you if you have a great product and terrible management, uh, you're you're probably going to die pretty quick. Yeah. Um yeah. one of the things that startups don't often think about, and they should, is you know, they come up with an idea for a new widget and they think, oh gosh, I gotta hire a manufacturer and I gotta market. No, you don't. If you you can your intellectual property, assuming that you're able to get a patent, could be so valuable that you don't have to do any of that. You license it out. To somebody else, and all the downstream stuff you normally have to deal with is passed off to somebody else, and you get your royalties and sit out on a yacht. Yeah, that's a yeah. dream, of course. But but it is an, an, an alternative. So you want to look at the segments of what you could do or not do and figure out where you want to be positioned. Do you want to do the whole thing from market research to manufacturing to development to patenting to to you know being a rep set up distributorships or do you no want to I, don't.
0: I don't yeah. i don't i'm tired now i'm tired you You're just right. every the whole list well no but that's the important thing right and i think a lot of us get into something a little bit of our heads of being really good at creating but maybe not good at executing that part but our well, execution is in the creative
1: yeah, yeah, every it's very rare that a CEO um, has a very high level skills in everything, including legal and marketing and finance and uh, all of the different pieces of fundraising. Uh, so you just really do have to analyze your own strengths and weaknesses and say, "Boy, I I want to set up a team and and." I really need a great marketing person because one, I haven't got time to do that. And number two, mm-hmm. I, I'm really not an expert in
0: it. Yeah. Isn't it wild? Like you, you think about the beginning of your career, David, to now and how marketing has changed from print. I mean, I'm just going with our own thing with our magazine being print from South Africa to here, you know, and then Google came around. And we used to sell classified ads called Webifieds because we were trying to get people to understand that you spent all this money, thousands of dollars back then on a website, and you haven't even put it on your business card. But you spent, and there was no way for people to, there was a Netscape book. Remember Netscape, the big book that went around. And I'm like, you're not in the Netscape because you're not the big wig yet, you know. And yet you've spent all this money on a website and you don't even bother to put it on your business card. So we, we used to have a Webified section in our print magazine to promote people's websites. Okay. And now, of course, it's changed. I know, but, it, you know, things change, right? But that's the thing. You know, it's like when you think about marketing, hasn't it changed? And you, I mean, you've got to have the right people that are up with it now. The social media oh my gosh you can't you 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 have to have the people you have to have a team for that stuff it's it's not going to be you may be a ceo and been been around the block but are you have you been around the block on social media you know you can't you, you can't yeah do all I, I, you. I don't
1: know lisa do i have enough time to tell you just a funny story
0: sure sure so
1: when uh when Between law school semesters, I was a Fuller Brush man. Do you remember Fuller Brush?
0: Yeah, they knocked on your door. My grandfather was one.
1: All right. Well, a lot of famous people were uh, too, you know, movie stars and so forth. So, so uh, I'm I'm on a first day on the job, right? And one, you got to buy your sales kit. So right off the bat, I'm off like a hundred bucks in the hole. And so the guy who was instructing me said, "Okay." Now, here's an apartment house, but see that sign on the outside of the house? This is very basic marketing. This is as far away from social media as you can get, right? <laughs> see that apartment house? So, see that sign and it says, uh, no solicitors, right? And yeah. so she so said, So here's what you do here's a fake head of lettuce, and you, and you put your sales kit in a shopping bag, in a, in a grocery bag, and put the head of lettuce on top. And you can walk right in. And I said, well, boy, that's, that sounds like it might work. So I did that. And the first door I knocked on was the superintendent of the building who threw me out. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: <laughs> so um, uh, door-to-door still works for some things, uh, you know, paving your driveway or whatever. But you're so right. Social media is where it's at.
0: Yeah. And it's it's a ch- that's funny about that, seriously. And that, then they went into... Then it went from like Fuller Brush to vacuum cleaners. I can't remember the vacuum cleaner. I do David. remember
1: that. Yeah, we've yeah, had it, in the
0: house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody can knock on David's door, by the way. I'm just kidding. just <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving your address out. But Thank but you. no, but but it has changed over the years. And I think that's where businesses sometimes either really go with it or not. And it is about like, again, you need the cash flow for advertising and marketing. You have to. You can't have a business without that. I'm just saying everybody call me. You can call me. You can come to my house, but I travel full time, but you can call me. <laughs> but <laughs> but, yeah. but honestly, honestly, um, that that's an important part of this. You you cannot start up, have a product and not market it and get it out there. That's part of your your fundraising is for that. So I, I appreciate that and I appreciate your book, uh, really. Uh I love it. I, you know, I, I don't think anybody who is in business and an entrepreneur or in management or in something that's starting up and new isn't going to enjoy it, you know, and anybody in business is going to just enjoy it because it, it's a refresher course and it's fun. <laughs> that's the thing. So everyone, again, the book is The Seven Secret Keys to Startup Success, What You Need to Know to Win. And we all want to be winners. I want to be an Oscar Meyer winner. So check it out. It's by David (laughs) J. Mucko, and that is M-U-C-H-O-W. So keep up with him and his website, davidmuccoauthor.com. Go get the book. Thank you so much for joining us, David. It's been a true pleasure.
1: My pleasure, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me and good luck to to all of those entrepreneurs out there.
0: Heck yeah. Let's go (laughs) get them, boys and girls.